Um, I think the first time you you texted me because like I wasn't sure, especially like with non-Nigerians, like man, I'm not sure. Like, was it a typo or was that like purposeful like Nigerian slang? But I think you texted me like the first time you texted me, you were like, it was like what day happened, and I was like, man, like should I like respond and like play on that or like was it a typo? Because I was afraid if I like respond like with a super like African thing that you'd be like, yo, what is this guy talking about? But <laughs> yeah, uh, it was not a typo. Um, it was it was it was it was a bait to see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was it was a cultural welcoming. It was like, hey, you know what happened? Um, I have lots of uh, Ghanaian and uh, Nigerian friends. Okay. And I've worked with Nigerians and Ghanaians. And uh, I said, he, if, if his name is Osi Atipo, he knows the friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very cool. Yeah, I guess I was just like too insecure. I was like, man, like, I don't know. Like, because it's not, it's actually not super common for like non-Nigerians. I would even say like African non-Nigerians like don't even, aren't even like kind of aware of the of the lingo. So that that's cool. It's cool that you know that. <laughs> I have a few pigeon English phrases, not many. Don't, don't test me too far. Oh, uh, I might fail. Dude, no, no worries, man. I was I was born and, and raised here, so I'm 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 as Nigerian as you are, low key. But I, I try to when I like to talk to my cousins every now and then. That that's when it like really starts to kick in, and I'm like, okay, cool. I still got it. Um, but cool. Anyway, before I you know ramble it on, um, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, man. Uh, my name is Israel McKinney Scott. I'm from born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I'm an actor, producer, uh, director, coach, acting and voice coach, and also a licensed minister of the gospel. Wow, cool, damn! So where do we even yeah. where do we even begin? Uh, uh, wherever you want. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a, quite a journey. I've been on. I'm 36 years old. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm very grateful for that age. Yeah, and I've learned a lot, and looking forward to learning even more. Yeah. Oh man, that that's. That that's such a I I I'm 24 um, and uh, I I hope to have that mindset for as long as possible. Uh, so I definitely applaud you on that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess I guess uh, that's interesting. I think that the the like the combination of arts and religion is always interesting to me because I feel like. Um, in a Venn diagram, you would definitely have like arts on one side and religion on, on one side in the sense that like, I guess where, what I've been ex exposed to, like artists um, tend to be, I guess, like, I guess anything with rules really, we're not like, like the biggest fan of, but um, right. that must be interesting in terms of like bringing both worlds to together in the sense that like like do, do are people in like as an actor and like producer and then also being like a like a minister does that like throw people off when you say that um i think people do initially they it, more in 2021 in the in the 2000s people are more embracing of it because they realize that people are multifaceted artists and in new york i don't get so much pushback as i do uh growing up in the south because in the south definitely I love my upbringing, love my time there. Uh, but there are certain categories for certain people. Mm -hmm. And while we do believe in entertainment, we do believe in having a great time and enjoying ourselves, um, you know, it's pretty much set. You can choose one or the other. Um, it's not that you're a bad person, 
but you definitely choose one or the other um, in terms of uh, a, a vocation or calling. Um, and some, you know, you don't see you, in, in New York. I've met quite a few actually uh, ministers, uh, whether they are senior pastors or they are associate or you know support ministers of uh, different ministries, or you know uh, support rabbis of other temples. Uh, that are also actors. Uh, yeah. it's, it's I've seen a good handful of people who met and know very well some people that are, are that identify with that nomenclature. Um, I feel that I remember going into school. I went to Edna Carr High School in New Orleans, Edna Carr Baggett School, second to none Cougars. And uh, mm-hmm. that was my academic school. But I also went to a school called the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts, Noble Riverfront, uh, with the likes of Wendell Pierce, uh, Winton Marcellus, with some of the first classmates, uh, class members there. Mm-hmm. My dear friend, Sierra Payton, um, who, who just did Wendy Williams on Lifetime, and also John Baptiste, who was also just a year under me, who just, you know, won an Oscar for uh, for Soul, uh, a, a Grammy, I'm sorry, or Oscar for Soul. And, uh, you know, it was a great time there, really great arts. And I, one of my teachers, one of my acting teachers, I was running like literally five minutes late for a rehearsal for a show. And he, when I ran in, I was like, oh my God, so, like being late as an artist, especially as an actor, is just un, like just unconscionable. You just don't do it. That's what they nail in your head, drill in your head, drill in your head. And he says to me, Israel, you have to make a decision whether you're going to be a preacher or an actor, but you can't do both. Mm. And I remember that day, I was coming from a speech and debate tournament on a Saturday. And we had a rehearsal or a show on that Saturday at school. And I was literally pushing it late. And um, I said, well, to myself, I said, okay, sir, I'm sorry. But to myself, I said, we'll see about that. Mm. And I guess we saw, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. And I think where there's a will, my mother always said, and my father always taught me, uh, where there's a will, there's a way. Right. Um, and if you desire to do it, you'll, you'll make it happen. You know, carpe diem, seize the day and seize the opportunities. Will it always be, you know, milk and cookies the whole way through, but you'll have to make some decisions and take some stances and say, I'm willing to do this. I'm not willing to do that. Or, I want to be here and not take it as uh, find a support a ministry that supports you and that you support. And is a, is a symbiotic relationship. Like my ministry where I go in, in New York and I support is Deliverance Tabernacle Church of Christ. And uh, they've come since grad school. I came up here for grad school. And since then, they've they've come to nearly every performance that I've had. Uh, not every single one, but the major performances in the city. Um, and supported me, you know, from grad school to off-Broadway to, you know, to, to, to the Polanski Shakespeare Center Theater for New Audiences right next to BAM. I mean, those things are, uh, they're, they're important right. to hear and to feel and to see and to know that people appreciate you for your gift. And then in turn, it makes a more productive person or just a servant at church where I help with, with the drama and youth ministries. Yeah. Oh, man, that that's, that's so... Um... First of all, it's great that you did not listen to that guy. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's what's crazy is that, um, especially, I guess, when you're younger and you're around someone who is, you know, quote unquote expert and like words like that can be so powerful when um, someone, I guess, above you says like you're capable of doing this or not capable of, of doing this. Yes. And um Sometimes, like, I'll think about how, um, like, for example, deciding to listen to that guy or not listen to that guy has literally shaped your life. But, like, for him, being able, like, him saying that statement, like, maybe by dinner time or the next morning, 
he doesn't even like remember even saying that because like it's right. just it's just words for him but like that that's your life in the sense that like right. hopefully anyone listening can can go like man like any any time like someone uh, positive or negative take it with a grain of salt in that like it just does not mean as much as it does for them like it, and like for you like it 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 you ultimately will be the one to like deal with the consequence of like retaining or denying that information. So anyway, I, I just, I go on that rant just because like, um, right. you know, just sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's so important to just like, remember that, um, like, you know, at the, at the end of the day, like what, what someone tells you versus like what you do, like you're the one that has to deal with that outcome. And, um, I'm just I'm I'm so glad to to hear you you say that like you had the the mindset um and, and how 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 long ago was this like how old were you when this happened Oh I had to be 16 16 oh, okay. or 17 right. years old I was like yeah so it was really at a critical stage mm-hmm. where I was deciding so like this was like a creative arts like a conservatory program where I went half day and I loved those teachers they they are the, some they are the highlight of my arts education because what I taught there there was the basis I carried that through college and grad school. Some of the same vocal warm-ups and physical warm-ups I learned at Nooka Riverfront. I learned also in, in undergrad and grad school. So, I mean, I mean, it, they gave me a great basis and a toolkit um, to go forth as an artist. And mm-hmm. I'm very grateful. Great program. And because they saw it, and because so many people see acting and art as a faith or as a religion. Like, people live that, people call, you know, a jam session or a shedding session or, or, or play, it's their church. It's very religious. And if we think about it and look at these things, we were taught that, you know, art and theater began at fireside chats after the hunt. Wow. You know, this the you know the festival of Dionysius, so Dionysus, some people pronounce it. There's literally they have wine and dancing and ritualistic dancing. And what is religion? It's religare. It comes from the Latin word that seems to retrace the same steps over and over. Right. Um, literally. So we find ourselves in life to have some of the same success with playing music. You have to rehearse those things over and over, get into that soundproof booth and rehearse it until it sounds right, you know? And, mm-hmm. you know, retracing those same steps. I didn't hit that note, I didn't do this. Or you do a vocal warm up, or you say the lines until you get the lines properly and you're able to listen and engage with it being second nature and having a naturalistic feel on stage or on film. Yeah. Um, so those things I, I'm, I'm very grateful for. But I'm very glad that I also had my own mind and I had very supportive uh, a village that helped raise me. I definitely, you know, mother and father definitely there and, you know, family, friends, siblings and, you know, grandparents that came, you know, from Taekwondo tournaments to 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 plays, to to skits and everything in between. Um, It it means so much that it helped crowd out that one uh, emphatic statement because that was his mind. That was his particular view. That was his particular optic. And I understand it because it was valuable to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, and I, I did value acting. It's just that I valued other things and I didn't quite know how to juggle them that well at the time, right. but I've learned over time how to juggle, how to negotiate, how to ask for certain things and how to give on certain things. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important with anything in life, whether you're an artist, whether you're a doctor, you're a lawyer or anything, you have to know how to negotiate your time, know when to say no, mm-hmm. you cannot do everything. Thing, you cannot be everywhere and really as time goes on reassess your values and what you want to do in life yeah i mean it, it, and i i say that because one of my idols is paul robeson i mean if anybody knows paul robeson he was born on april 9th um and i was born on april 8th um so that also is a, a very close identifying marker 
But Paul Robeson was a great statesman. I mean, had he not been an African-American during his time, I dare say he would have been one of the former presidents of the United States. Oh. I mean, he was a well-known opera singer. He dated a very well-known actress, Uta Ahagen. Um, he opera singer. He was an actor. He was known for the Emperor Jones. He was a football player, professional football player. He was the top of his class yeah. in undergrad, top of his law school class. You know, so these are things that he did without computers. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah. And he did all these things at different spaces in time. So there's no rush to have the American dream, the Polish dream, the German dream, whatever that means, mm. the African, you know, the Nigerian dream, the Ghanaian dream, whatever that means. It's just you need to know and pace yourself and not compare yourself, but be encouraged by the next man or the next woman beside you. Yeah. And mark them and what they did to get successful or what they did not do or what you're willing to sacrifice and what you're not willing to sacrifice, I believe. Yeah. Um, it, that, that, that's uh, uh, so spot on, especially I, I really resonate with, um, you know, not paying attention to uh, uh, another person's path and, and that like... Um, it's weird, and I, I guess I understand it from a music perspective, and that like like the nature of being a, a tuba player, um, especially in the classical world, maybe a hundred twenty guys uh, tuba players are going to show up for an audition, and only one's going to you know win. There's only one spot, and I think for the most part, there's a mentality of like like whoever wins, like you're genuinely happy for them that they won because like them winning has nothing to do with with you, like like. Like the, you're you're applauding them because they somehow in their own journey figured out how to get from like point A to point whatever, and like you're you're that's something that you admire because like for anyone who's ever tried to go far down any path, you know how hard it is to like just get over your own shit. So like you you just admire right. anyone who's like able to get over their own obstacles and like figure out that thing that you're also trying to figure out because hating on like hating on someone especially in a skill uh based field like hating on someone is not going to make you better so there's just literally no point on on doing it you know what i mean like they're like it, it's it's wasted energy um and you know it, it it takes away from like your ability to just be curious in terms of like okay like how can i go back to the to the drawing board and maybe work on this thing this could have been better because like i think if that energy is focused externally um there's just so many moments there's so many opportunities for accountability that you're taking away from yourself if like the the review process for something like that is external you know so right. um Anyway, I mean, that that's that's so I, I kind of I really resonate with what, you know, you said and I, I get it from a music perspective. And um, I'm sure for you, though, like as you went on, um, maybe the guy who, you know, very clearly said, like, you can't do um, both. Uh, I'm sure like as you went on to, you know, graduated from high school you know, going to uh, college and, and whatnot, maybe like, like were, was that kind of attitude maybe said more subtly as like, you're, you know, you're doing the music stuff, you're doing the acting stuff, you're getting older and where people like, did you continue to maybe get that a little bit? So of course, I mean, because, but people also express their respect. Uh, was I the perfect Christian? No, absolutely not. Did I do things that many kids in college do regardless of their faith practice do? Yes. Did I go to the frat parties? Did I go to the club? Did I do all these 
wonderful things that I won't mention on this interview? Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Did I enjoy life? Yes. Do I regret it? No. Do I regret some of the the timings of it? Yes. But um, I I enjoyed life. I will say that. And I had to come into a realization reckoning. Maybe that's not the best choice or the healthiest choice for me. Um, (laughs) When you have 30 minutes to get to an audition and you're hungover. You understand? So, like, I mean, it's not... (laughs) I, just being real about it, at, you know, right after college or, oh, wait, this is a big audition. Oh, I'm meeting with someone and I I literally have to shower and be, be there and it takes 30 minutes to get there. Yeah. You know, so those are the life choices that you uh, really have to reassess and say, you know what, this is not the best thing for me or I need to graduate. I need to move on to the next level in my life or matriculate. Um, I will say um, it's so funny because I, I, that that instance propelled me to do even better in school. Um, before I graduated. And I think my senior year of high school, um, I, w- I participated in a, a competition for a college scholarship, the Omega Sci-Fi um, college scholarship program. And um, I won for New Orleans, but I didn't know. It was so funny. I had a scene from A Raisin in the Sun with my dear friend, Riga Ruby. He was an amazing comedian, um, an artist, an actress, and a writer in her own right, um, based in New Orleans. But Riga Ruby, she has this wonderful skit with Jeanette the Genie. Um, and she and I are still good friends to this day, talk all the time. And we were partners. She was Ruth and I was Walter Lee Younger. And we did a scene in church. So basically, even in high school, my churches and my place of worship were supportive of the arts mm. and supported scenes, um, tweaking a few words, clearly you can't see in the sanctuary, um, <laughs> tweaking a few words and having those scenes and showing, you know, real life and showing the struggles of life, not in just in Bible context, but in real life context to writers that have applicable. Oh, God. Right, do that. Oh, oh, my God. oh yeah, your I think Hello? your your video went out for a sec. Oh wow. Oh, no worries, it happens. Okay, sorry about that. No problem. Technical difficulties, okay. ladies and gentlemen. We will be all right. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry about that. Yeah. Um yeah, so basically, um I did this, I did my monologue at the competition. And I left competition. It was literally three quarters of a mile to a mile away from where my church was. Left in my dad's truck and went to the pro, uh, went to the program at church. I was literally right on time. They were looking for me. I'm like, okay, ran and did the scene and said, I have to leave after the scene. They clapped. I ran back to the competition just to be supportive. And they had just announced the winners. And, they, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Who won? And they're like, bro, you won the competition. <laughs> so it's like when you... <laughs> You know, when you do what you have to do for God, uh, do what you have to do for your moral principles, everything else will fall in line, I believe. When yeah. you take a stance in life and put your foot down about what you want and your values, everything else will fall into place, I believe. That's, yeah. And that's personally what I believe. Yeah. Um, um, and it's shown itself true to me in many, many, many different ways, yeah. honestly. I yeah. can't even, you know, I can't even tell you. Like, literally, there have been times where I'm like, how am I going to get there? And say, I've gotten a free flight. Yeah. Or somebody says, hey, I'll you know, I'll pay for your registration fee or I'll pay for this. And I, you know, it's just amazing. You know, we pay it forward. Yeah. Um, and I can already just like, you know, tell, tell talking to you now, um, that like, it's kind of hard to explain. I'm not sure there's like a single word for it, but it's one thing to be, you know, to work on your craft, to be good at what you do. And then there's also an energy that, um, certain people give that I, I think you give off in like, that um, like, I don't, again, it's hard to even explain, but it's like, like uh, when you have an, an energy where like the people around you like want to see you succeed, 
I, I can yes. I can I can tell that like from your own kindness and like the love that like you've given out to the world that um you know um even whether you had like hard times as a student or as a person or or whatever or like maybe there were things that maybe took you like a second longer or whatever like I'm like to, to me it sounds like you've had people in your life that like maybe were willing to like give you that extra uh, second or two because because like, I have a feeling that like you've been surrounded by people that wanted to see you win and succeed absolutely yeah absolutely absolutely and I mean I, I, and it's 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 I credit my my late father uh, who transitioned in 2018 and my very present mother who said you know it doesn't matter if you are a sanitation worker or you're the president of the United States but you have to pre- treat people with respect and love and uh, kindness and be gra- grateful for whatever you get because people don't owe you anything. Mm. And I've just taken that with me wherever I've gone. You know, I've literally, when I tell you literally, I've met heads of state, I've met princes of Saudi Arabia, I've met, you know, governors, literally shaking hand and spoken and had audience with governors of states, um, representatives and famous actors and artists, singers and musicians and have their telephone numbers, you know? So it's like, it's, it, it, and it's genuine. It's a genuine exchange and they'll text me for advice or I'll text them or, or speak to them and see them on the street. I mean, I try to live my life to say, I want to be a blessing to anybody in that I come in contact with. And I want to make sure I'm fulfilling my purpose daily. Yeah. Now, am I a knucklehead sometimes at 36? Yes, I am a knucklehead sometimes <laughs> at 36, but I think it's, I think I'm accomplishing that, you know? And I've lived that kind of bivocational way of living saying that, no, I'm not going to just be limited to this and that it's okay um, if I'm not Denzel Washington, uh, Paul Robeson, uh, you know, know, Julia Roberts famous. Um, But I definitely want to be able to take a vacation three or two or three times a year to a nice location with my family, my wife and daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely want to be able to do those things. And I, I have, you know, since being married, since having, you know, a child who just graduated from kindergarten, shout out to Isabel. Ah, nice. um, so uh, d- definitely want to be able to do those things um, and enjoy life. I, I want to enjoy life. Do I want paparazzi flashing in my face all the time? Nope. But hey, if it happens, hey, make sure I brush my teeth that morning. You know, yeah. just, you know, just <laughs> govern yourselves accordingly. But like w- within line with the bivocation, um, bivocation, yes, I'm a minister. Yes, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an actor and producer. But I also have to pay the bills. And I don't like to defraud anyone and make anybody think that this big fancy life. I live in an apartment in Jamaica, Queens. I enjoy it. Um, could I live other places? And for the money that I'm paying, absolutely live in uh, a, a house that I own yeah. and a three-car garage and have a country club membership? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely could. Um, I think we could. Uh, many of us artists can say that, but we are where we are because we're prepared for the opportunity that will knock at the door mm-hmm. soon. You know, mm-hmm. literally a day can make the difference. Uh, most of my life, from the time that I was in high school, late high school to, uh, to college, to grad school, I've worked in hospitality. Now there's one thing I said, and I don't slam anybody, but I said I would not work a particular type of job. In high, I remember being in the hallways in high school and my friends were like, oh, all actors do this particular job. All actors do this. You'll have to, when you go to New York, you're going to do it. I said, I'm not doing that job. I know it. And even though I even applied for jobs like that, I never got them. Some kind of way it fell through. Did I have the charm? Do I have the ability? Yes. But I, I found myself in hospitality in the way that my parents groomed me. And not to New Orleans. That is one of the homes or meccas of hospitality yeah. and making people feel good and welcome and great. And I, I was a hotel front desk. I started as a, as, at a high-end gym um, in New York. 
and made a lot of connections. And literally one day is always a being, being in acting. They tell us to be in a state of readiness, like with your knees bent and your mouth slightly open, breathing and ready in a state of readiness. Yeah. And when the gentleman walked by, the way he said something, I was like, oh, so do you work in a hotel? He gave me a recommendation without even really knowing me. I got the job as a bellman, became a front desk agent from there, became a concierge from there, got to meet people from all around the world, yeah. made connections. And I'm still a concierge in a residential building. So I'm bivocational and I still have a job that allows me to make a very decent living yeah. and also pursue my art and love until my art and love and passion takes me up. It takes me away and is able to pay me full time for what, you know, I love to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I think that's so important to tell people that, that it's okay. And I love being a hospitality expert. I love consulting with people and helping them like become a, a, an employee of a, a Fortune 500 company. I teach vocal, you know, vocal production. I teach, you know, articulation to people who are non-native speakers. I just had a young woman um, from Korea who is not native of here. She got a job at a Fortune 500 company because we worked with her and went over her goals and what she wanted to achieve because she felt that people were taking, you know, intelligence points away from her mm. because she had a particular accent, whereas she had the, the knowledge and the understanding of people who were born in, in Jamaica, Queens or New Orleans, you know? So, yeah. I mean, hey, it is what wow. it is. But I mean, I think that's so important to realize we're here for a reason. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. It's and it's it's, um, you know, you, you can you can't put a price tag on um optimism you know especially like for for your own self and your own um journey in the sense like what i mean by it's it's like it's it's um sometimes like i'll 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 uh you know talk to a friend that like maybe is down about something and um which is fine but then like i can quickly recognize when like you know you're down and then like you're also you know someone's also like beating themselves up a little bit and like right. I always just like say, it's just like, yo, like the world will like take a dump on your head in like a billion different ways. Like what don't don't add to that pile. Like on, you know, like, right. don't, like, like it's it's um, um it sounds basic. But like I, I, I always just like tell myself like any like like maybe I'll be in that mindset for like literally 10 seconds. And I'll just be like, yo, like you just you always have to remember, like you have to be your own. Uh, biggest cheerleader and and not like in the sense that like you're you're telling yourself that you're great or whatever like telling you know telling yourself lies like I'm amazing I don't have to like do work or anything it's not even that it's more so that like I I just I believe that like if I put in the work I put in the time that like my my day will come just like just little stuff like that where it's like um if something doesn't go your way it just it doesn't it doesn't help it doesn't help to like add more um negative perspective to your to your situation like you're you and you know outside from um things that you can't control like maybe uh depression or other mental health issues or um if you're stressed because like you're barely meeting needs like a lot of the people that i'm i'm i i like that i'm i'm friends with like don't fall in either of those categories and i say that in that like if you if you're fortunate to not have to deal with either either of those things that means that like literally all you need is perspective to just like instantly see something differently like you're you're right. you know what i mean like like it's like cuz like perspective can't you know fill an empty stomach it can't 
uh, it can't, you know, it can't, it can't like change the chemical balance in your head. But like, if you're just kind of like down about like, you know, a first world issue, like literally perspective can just like instantly solve that thing. And, um, you know, and it's, this is just one, this is one of those things that we like all know, you know, like on paper, but like actually practicing that for yourself, it's just so important to, uh, not be down on yourself. That's, that's basically, you know, um, uh, what I'm saying. And, um, anyway, man, I, I want to, I want to just cause again, you, you do so much and, and, and it's just so cool to have you here. So instead of me just rambling, I, I actually have some, uh, I'm so interested about, um, how anyone, um, goes into uh, film and I'll, I'll like preface my, my question by just saying like, um, uh, for, for me, music, um, was, I think, I think going into music is a little bit more obvious. Like schools have bands, they have like, you know, like music clubs and stuff. So like going into it as a kid is a, is a little bit more obvious, but man, I, I remember, I think I was like 10 and I rewatched the first 10 minutes of Goodfellas like 30 times. Yeah. I I literally, (laughs) and I, I swear, like I say that because like in another world, I think had the outlet for film in some capacity been as obvious, I would have at least, I'm not saying I would have been like a professional or anything, but like I would have at least like maybe like taking that first step and just being like, yo, like how can I create something like as cool as this? So I say that just cause like what, what in film as a kid or maybe as a teenager, was there any movies or anything in particular where you were just like, I need to know how they did that? So my parents took me, I will say that film was not the first, but my parents always made sure that I was well-rounded as far as interculturally involved. I, I operate from a platform of unity through understanding, mm. unity through understanding. Even if you don't agree with me, I want to know why you believe what you believe or how you came to those understandings. I don't have to be all exhaustive and get every single point of your childhood or your upbringing, or your young adulthood, or you, you know, adulthood. But I want to understand where you're coming from. And my parents made it sure to say, you are an ambassador, whether you like it or not, of your culture, of your faith, of your upbringing, of your state, of your city. You're an ambassador. You know, even though people may know other people, you might be the first person that they see from there, and you are the first impression. And that is a hard, that, that is a hard, that's, that's a big responsibility on the shoulders, like Atlas, you know, carrying the world. You feel like sometimes you're carrying the world but I appreciate it because it made me take pride in who I was and what I did. Um, And my parents took me to see movies when I was younger, but not just any old movies. We went to see Little Mermaid. We went to see Bambi at the theater. We also, at six years old, my parents took me to see Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. Um, And I will never forget that movie. Mm. Um, It was, it was so powerful. One of the opening scenes where they were all dressed up and you see all these people, all these black people walking and talking and looking respectful, you know, back in the 1930s and 40s. And then you see Spike Lee and Denzel Washington walk across the street with those zoot suits and the hat and the feather. It's just like, wow. And they just have this nice little stride and the music is perfect. I was like, how did they create this? This is amazing. And it always stuck with me. And then to see the transformation of one person through different time periods is just amazing mm. through all the artists and the, the scenic designers and the, 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 the visual artists and the, the makeup, hair and makeup. I mean, they are, un, they, you know, unsung heroes in film. Yeah. And 
growing up, I, my mom always took me, my father sometimes, to, to the Sanger Theater in New Orleans, Louisiana. And there was a play called Mama, I Want to Sing. And it was kind of a gospel stage play. It was very famous, you know, by Higginson. Um, but the unique thing is uh, my now wife went to school with Vi Higginson's daughter. No, uh, you know, so it was just very, it was full circle event. And when I saw, when I got to meet Miss Higginson, I said, you know, you're one of the reasons why I chose acting as a career. Um, because I wanted to, Mama, I want to sing is the name of the play. I said, Mama, I want to act. Yeah. And in fourth grade, there was a teacher, wonderful lady, uh, Miss Janice, she's still alive, I believe, and uh, Miss Janice Catlidge. She did not see me as acting out. She didn't see me as being a behavior problem like many people of color are seen mm. when they are talking or, you know, kind of misbehaved. She said, there's something special about him, Mrs. Scott and Mr. Scott. I want to recommend him for the Talented in Theater program. And so I auditioned at fourth grade. I remember they gave me a cloth, like a rag. And they said, show us as much as you can in a minute that this rag could be. I mean, I had a rag around my head. I was like, I'm a babushka. I was, you know, I was, you know, I then I became like a, a Muslim cleric. I put it around my waist. I was a hula day. I mean, I remember these things because they gave me the freedom. And I think more children need that freedom to express themselves mm. in non-traditional academic ways that can translate to academic ways. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just so important uh, for that release. I got into talented in theater, needless to say, and I did half, you know, an hour or two for two or three days a week at my elementary school. And then I went to junior high and, you know, did the after school program. And I knew that I wanted to be an actor. I knew, I knew, I knew. I, I'm a big guy of size. You know, I'm 6'2", 300 pounds. Um, and I was, what, in, in middle school, I was about 2'10", 220, uh, about 5'11", mm-hmm. 6 feet. So I was always ready for football. And I did peewee football as a child. But in high school, in ninth grade, the coach said, we're going to give you guys a chance. It was like three or four of us, young guys, um, because most of the guys from junior high had started in seventh grade. Our school was from seven to 12 at the car. But then I learned of an after-school program that uh, was for acting at NOPA, a pre-high you know, pre school program. And I said, I got accepted on the football team and I was about to sign the papers. But then I went to my mom and I said, mom, I honestly believe that I can get a better shake at life and more scholarship opportunities and opportunities in life by doing acting. Mm. I knew that at ninth, at ninth grade, 14 years old, everybody does not know that yeah. about themselves. But I felt so confident in my gift and my talents and my training that I had thus far and experiences that I said, I think I want to do acting. And I forwent the football team and I did Taekwondo. So I have a black belt in Taekwondo, another accolade, you know, um, uh, second degree, second Dan black belt in Taekwondo. I still know some of those moves. I don't want to have to use them, <laughs> um, but I, uh, I do have that under my belt. No pun intended. And I'm grateful for those experiences. Art Moreau's Taekwondo Plus was a great place uh, to encourage young minds. Um, and that, that's when I knew I wanted to do um, acting. So I was primarily like a classically trained actor. Mm-hmm. Most of my training was in Shakespeare and the classics, Greek uh, tragedy and comedies. And then, you know, as I got in high school and college, we did more American drama like Raisin in the Sun and Fences and uh, learning dim camera technique. I went to school for two years uh, in, in Texas, and then I transferred in 2005 uh, to University of New Orleans to do mass communications and film. Mm-hmm. UNO had a great film program, and I went there um, for a week. And in that week, we got notice that um, a, hur- a hurricane by the name of Katrina was coming. Oh, wow. And in 2005, I thought I was going to be leaving for a couple of days, so I packed my bag for you know, three days. 
Um, and we went to a family house in Mississippi that my mom's family has and still to this day. And uh, we saw the news. Yeah. Thankfully, our house was not ruined. There was some, you know, roof damage, trees and some minor, you know, water around the grass. But when we lived in Algiers, um, it was not heavily flooded like uh, other places, uh, sadly. Um, And I'm very, 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 very grateful um, for that experience of moving, majoring in religious studies. So this is the trajectory of my life, majoring in religious studies. And I had kind of given up on acting to agree. I said, I kind of want to do, you know, religious studies, acting uh, is uh, put on the back burner. And there was an audition that came up for Raisin in the Sun at New Stage Theater in Jackson. And I auditioned and got the role of Asagai. So I played a Nigerian um, exchange student. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, that was uh, one of my, uh, as I said, well, I grew up around Nigeria's friends. And I said, let me test this accent out. And I, I did it. And, and during the talk, one of the talkbacks, one of the little girls that was there, she's like, are you really from Africa? I said, no, I'm not. She's like, ah, he's from here. You know, like, so, and, and, you know, so it was, it was a testament that I, I, the boomerang, I threw it, you throw it. And if it's meant to be, it'll come back, back to you. It's yeah. yours. Yeah. And so I, it came back to me, you know, and I'm very grateful that it came back to me and I could not deny it yeah. after that, you know? Uh, and from there on, I went to an internship in Florida at Orlando Shakespeare theater and then went up to grad school in New York at the new school for drama and got my MFA in acting. Um, and I loved the collab class because it allowed us to, if we wanted to write a little bit, if we wanted to act, if the directors wanted to act, or if, you know, somebody wanted to direct, um, you kind of exchange those roles. And I, I love that collaboration. And I think that is so key collaboration, um, in any art, in any yeah. form, mixing music genres and things of that nature with acting or mixed media performances. I think it's a beautiful thing that really has really taken center stage, especially in the past 10 years, you know, yeah. performance pieces and things like that, that are not just acting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's uh, in film. Oh boy, really quick. So in my life, I've always done jobs where it would allow me to have the life that I wanted to have. I worked for airline. I worked for airline in 2015 and 2016. And I also worked for it in 2019 to 2020. I flew a number of places and I always said I wanted to go to the Pacific Northwest. I wanted to go to the you know Western states that I have, Idaho, Montana. And I saw a post of a one Nam- Namdi Ka- Kanaga. Mm. And he was a Nigerian student uh, that had come to Montana to get a master's in English. And he was looking for creativity. He spoke of lack of diversity and desiring to promote, you know, stories of color and BIPOC uh, stories. And I felt in my spirit that I wanted to connect with him and I was supposed to work with him. And I told him that I had, had a desire to go to the state. I literally had just said it to friends that I wanted to go to Idaho, Montana, all this place I had been. And here I saw this post on social media. We connected, we talked, we became like brothers almost instantly. And yeah. I produced his first short film in the United States called Talisman. It was talked about, you know, evil mysticism, uh, Nigerian culture, but also uh, international adoption and child sex trafficking. Heavy issues. Yeah. Very heavy issues. Um, And it won an award for uh, the African Film Festival based in Dallas. It won an award for, uh, you know, best actor. Uh, we got one of those best actor awards for the actor that we cast. It was only two two people in the cast, the mother and the actor. And then just recently in July of 2020, during COVID, you know, with COVID restrictions in place, we were able to film a full-length feature called The Hail Mary. 
and we're currently going through um, the festival circuit, and there is interest, um, uh, very strong interest in acquisition um, and distribution. So I'm very grateful. This is my second film um, as a producer, um, and I also served as casting, uh, casting director and production manager, you know, all hands on deck. So it was really a humbling experience, and that I got to kind of like, you know, while I have a master's in acting and I've been in films, um, this behind the scenes is where I like to connect people. I consider myself a, a connector and I like to be a catalyst um, to people all around uh, wherever I am. And I, I really felt like connecting those moving pieces. I love producing. I love acting, but I really, really love casting and producing. I love casting and producing and coaching people um, to greatness. It doesn't mean I'm not going to go on an audition. It doesn't mean I won't take a big role in a big paycheck. I yeah. will. I definitely will. And I welcome them. I wel- You hear me, everybody? I welcome them. Yeah. I welcome them wholeheartedly. Um, but I, I definitely know it's important to know your calling yeah. and what you desire to do and not be ashamed of it. Right. And let not anybody put you into shame about your calling. Right. And that that's that's um, um, actually for, for uh, people, because I, I feel like the, the producer role in um, film is like not quite clear uh, to like most people who are you know who just watch movies. We all, we all know you know we've all we all know like how great like uh, Scorsese and Tarantino are directors and actors, obviously. But do you want to just like talk about? I guess um, uh, I mean like what what is a producer exactly, and like what what's the the journey to becoming a, a great producer? The uh, can you repeat that last part for me, please? Yeah, and like, like what what's like that that journey like of of becoming like a good or or a great producer? I would say a producer is someone who is a procurer of all the pieces to come together. Is all a procurer of all the pieces to come together. Um, it's so important to have a good team. So a producer is ultimately responsible for hiring the director, and, and it's not any particular order, but usually. A production company put and list a producer and they come up with an agreement for a fee um, or what they will get paid or a percentage of whatever the earnings are. However, that comes about that's between them and the, and the production company. Mm. And then they are responsible for finding a director, uh, finding a writer, or even if you see a good story, procuring the story, getting the background information, the actual factual information that will support telling this story. Mm. Um, and then finding a writer. If there's not already a writer that's written a piece finding a writer that can flesh out this story of a particular individual, if it's realist, if it's an actual true story, a biopic or a realistic fiction. Um, and then you get a director that has kind of the same vision or mind frame um, or artistic visions as that writer. And sometimes the writer and director are the same person because the writers feel so passionately about their piece mm. um, that they want to direct it and they want to see it to its fruition. And a producer is okay with that. Definitely. Um, I think that's I think that was what makes a good producer and also getting people on board that will help paint the picture that needs to be done. So a producer's job is to kind of also pare down financially is financially responsible for a, a production. Yeah. Um, there's executive producers who are known for getting the money um, and sometimes they just lend their name. So like when you see someone like Steven Spielberg or Brad Pitt, who's executive producer, they might have given the money for themselves from, the, from their own pockets or help fundraise or use their name to get investors and backers. Yeah. Um, and then, then you have the producers who are the ones who oversee the production. All the budgets come through them. 
um, and so on and so forth. And create they have creative license to say, no, we're not going to do this. We're going to cut this scene. That's not feasible. It doesn't make sense to film in London. We can make this city, make it look like London at an L.A. You know, uh, film set, mm. um, so on and so forth, to save you know airfare, flying all that gear. Those are the type of kind of hard decisions or kind of savvy decisions that needs to be made. But also pulling people together that will put a great piece of work and also having an eye for marketability. Yeah. So you see, there's a be- everybody has a story to tell. Um, but why is it more important to tell the story of this person than that person? It has to be about marketability. Do I want to hear about a fisherman in Montana or Louisiana that sitting, goes to his boat every day and catches trout or catches catfish? Um, n- maybe, yeah. maybe not. But do I want to hear about a fisherman from, uh, from Greece who then became an Olympic uh, swimmer? Right. You know, or, yeah. or some kind of story that has uh, gone forth like that. So there was a difference is that uh, the, the slight differences and in interests of stories that make people, you know, want to watch it. Yeah. You know, more marketable. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's that's really cool, because I, I feel like like a, a producer is basically creating an entire world like it, it, that, that. That's kind of what it sounds like. I mean, you're. <laughs> You're bringing in uh, uh, the actors, the directors, uh, this and that, and and of course, like you know, once the the the, the film itself is made, um, you know, if it comes, if it whether it's a big su- success or not, like you've created a a an entire world, and and as we see now with with films, um, like li- literally, uh, it, it's it's film has always been powerful, you know, from a visual perspective, like it's always, you know, influenced uh, society in in one way or or another. But like now, like maybe um, uh, like using the the Marvel uh, universe as a as an example in that, like um, it is something that like like I, I guess on a fundamental level, it's like here is something that, okay, obviously doesn't literally exist, but it kind of does if millions, if not, you know, a billion people or more can like have a conversation about this thing. So like now, like it does exist. Now there's, there's, a, um, you know, fan fiction stuff. There's conversation about on social media. And, I, you know, obviously, you know, one of the, the more obvious things is like how much money these things um, um, can make. But it's just so, it's so interesting in that um, a producer... Um, is is basically creating an an entire world that and like, responsible for it. Yeah, and that that, that might really have an impact on the real world. You know, that's... and people to literally, I mean, so literally, uh, when films are, are are played on TV, let's say a, a film that was at the movie theaters goes to TV, people vie for commercial spots based on how that film influences their product. Mm. So let's let's say if it's uh, a story about uh, a, a famous cook or chef, Paul Perdomo or someone like that, or Emma Lagasse, it's a film about him as a biopic. There are going to be a ton of cleaning supplies. There are going to be, in a, you know, pasta companies and so on. They're going to be buying for commercial time around that because that's the way our mind works. As simple, as educated as some of us are, Sometimes it's just simple as, oh, I'm going to try that pasta that just uh, aired on the commercial yeah. around, you know, the biopic about this particular chef or this particular person. Um, and that's how you get funding to have things on TV. Yeah. Producers are, are, are an integral part, but also unsung heroes because uh, they're not the famous ones. There, Yes, there are some famous ones that are, you know, former directors or actors that become producers or so on and so forth. 
but they really are responsible for the moving parts. They are really are responsible for putting that, as you said, putting that world together. And that's why when you, a, a picture wins best picture, best film at these award shows, who's getting up on that stage? Because they have literally pulled people. They are catalysts. They are, they, they are hustlers. They are chiefs. Yeah. If we know in African culture, you know, <laughs> chiefs are, are, are people who go to court to talk with people, to talk with officials, to get things done. But they also know, you understand, yeah. the underbelly of life yeah. and how to negotiate life on the underbelly and on the back. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. And on the up and up. And that's what producers do. We have to know how to wheel and deal. We, know how to, we have to know how to smile and nod. And we also have to know how to knock on doors and say, hey, this is my time for the favor that I need from you. Yeah. Or... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and I'm sure like there's a there's a like um uh how do I say like there's a there's an awareness that um a producer has to have uh you know whether it's be, you're dealing with these big budgets or perhaps in terms of talent like you might be dealing with like some big personalities, all this stuff, knowing how people mesh, just all that stuff. I mean, for people outside of film, I guess you could, you know, just kind of talk about it in terms of just management on a basic level. But I feel like the film aspect of it, because it's not, it's not a nine to five in the sense that like, this is like a company that will be here 20 years from now. Like, this is a film that has a start and an end. There are deadlines. There are like, it might, you know, I think as a fan, like when you see behind, like when I see behind the scenes stuff, it all looks like very like funny and this and that people are sitting around like, you know, just like enjoying whatever, like sitting in their trailers. But like, there's also real work being done. I'm sure there are moments where people aren't seeing eye to eye, whether artistically or business wise. And I mean, can you, can you kind of like, um, speak to like, what, like, like what is required of you as a producer in terms of like dealing with all that? Absolutely. So like on a set, we did we did the Hail Mary um, in July 2020. And that was a week long shoot during COVID. We had to limit the time we had. I had to check contracts. I, I, I was responsible. For, I, I, I love to write contracts and deal memos and things of that nature and uh, letters of agreement. So for smaller uh, budget films or for, you know, shorter films, a letter of agreement will be in place of a contract because it's, you know, to show that you're serious we don't want to take legal action against you, but we expect you to conduct yourself professionally and we're paying you the rate that you agreed to. And we expect you to come on time, professional, sober and ready to work. Mm-hmm. And I make that very clear. And I also make it very clear to people. It's it's a, it's an HR role, really, uh, as well. Um, human resources, because we are really it's, it's human capital. We're looking at people. We're making sure they're safe. Uh, we have to make sure that the insurance is there. Like the cameras will not move. They will not roll unless insurance is in place. You have the policy and the camera companies and the crew that you're renting it from. You have to have the gear truck and make those connections and involve somebody's child in the film so they'll reduce the rate. You understand? Those are those are like the little back end things that people don't know about. Yeah. Um, and then realize that you have a star, you know, yeah. that, that uh, of a kid that didn't want to act. But then you, you have a, a potential star in your hands and you're glad that you made the connection. It's a symbiotic relationship. I will say that I, I remember there was an instance and I love Namdi dearly uh, that we were trying to get a particular shot. And I said, they have to stop now uh, to get lunch. They have to stop now. I said, do not make me stop this production right now. And I mean, I love them. We're dear friends. I like brothers. And I said, do not make me stop this production. He said, please, please, please be brothers. Please, please, please. Just let me get this one shot. I looked at the actors. I said, do you feel comfortable staying on set for this shot? We're doing this according to the rules. And we're going to make sure that you feel fed. They had breakfast. They had lunch. They had dinner. They had place to stay. They compensated financially. They were flown in. And we're here we are 
in the summer sun in Montana, and he wants to get a shot in a truck. Yeah. And I said, you want to get a shot in a pickup truck going down the road, and we've done it 10 times. So we pull up, pull him to the side, and I'm furious. He says, let me get this shot because if they eat, they will not want to do it. I said, okay, do not make us go overtime for this day. So it becomes going overtime for the day. And if you go overtime for the day, you have to pay the actors more. You have yeah. to pay the crew more. So that, that I am the financial, you know, uh, you know, administrative head. And while the director is and the writer director is the, the artistic head and finding that vision. And we have to be able to work together. Doesn't mean that we won't have arguments, but we have to know how to be unified that we have a same, same goal of making a great film. So I conceded, it. And I said, you can do this for this amount of time. And then they have to stop. He said, okay. We looked at the film. We're like, I'm glad we came to that agreement. I'm glad. And I said, I'm glad I listened to you because I understand now. I understand the passion yeah. um, and wanted to get that job done. And even the actor said, I'm glad we went through with that because our energy would have been different. And as an actor, I totally understand that. Mm-hmm. When you get a belly full of food, you can try all you want to try to get those same fire. Mm-hmm. But when you're not full, yeah. you come up with a different <laughs> energy. When you're tired, yeah. the acting to me is better. I've Some of my best auditions that I've booked, I've been dog tired after a shift. And I get a text from my agent saying, hey, you booked this role. I'm like, what? That was crap. Wow. No, it was authentic you. It was all you. You gave. It was from your training. It was from the years of understanding who you were and just putting it into the role. And I think that's so important for any performer. You know, just give, you know, put you put all that you have out there. Give your 100 percent. And that's all you can give. Yeah. There's any number of reasons that you spoke about, you know, tuba players auditioning and being 122 players and only being one. You once you get what you can give, the rest is up to God, the universe, and whatever else to serve it back to you on your plate or not. Yeah, I, I just personally believe that. Wow. Um, and I think that the, the the working keys, and we're now in pre production for a film they chose to see, which details the um, the Igbo landing um, story of the uh, Igbo uh, people um, in the 1800s, early 1800s, that were brought over one of the last slave ships that were brought over, and they rebelled, and wow. instead of Becoming enslaved, they walk off the ship into the water. So that, which, by the way, those are the type of uh, slavery movies I am trying to see from now on. Right. We have seen enough of the other kinds, but that, right? Wow. Okay. Resistance yeah. and truly showing. We want to truly show that while many people might consider it suicide, it's not because water in many cultures, and especially in many African tribal cultures and traditions. It is, they welcome water. It's a, it's a place of transitioning. It's, it's a, a place of transferring to the afterlife. And water is used in many different ceremonies of the Christian faith and the indigenous faiths alike. Very, you know, a lot of, as you said, Venn diagrams where there's a lot of cross, you know, crossover. Um, and I, and when, we, when we talked about it, they chose to see, um, and we're in pre-production right now, we've gotten a great response. We had people from Nigeria reaching out to do interviews. I mean, we have people in Montana and in New York wanting to do interviews and the script wasn't even fully finished. Wow. You know, so it was just like, oh, wow. So like we were talking about marketability, this appeals to not just Nigerians, but Pan-Africa, Pan-America, all people from all across America. They want to, and as you said, it came out of you. You want to see stories that are interesting like that, that are not necessarily violent, but they are taking a stance in a way that has not been portrayed on film in a positive light, mm-hmm. showing that people that are peacefully and maybe, you know, forcefully resisting and not taking what others have stood and, you know, endured uh, the throes of slavery, terrible, you know, chattel slavery, but said, you know what? No, we're not going to do this. We're going to rebel. Yeah. We're going to walk off this ship 
and we're going to be free. And this is our definition of freedom and showing that this is this is our way. You know, there's so many different ways to look at things. As you said, perspective can change your mindset. And that perspective was like, wow, it was so beautiful. Yeah. How do I like watch this movie tonight? Like where, how, what, man, I, I need this movie. So the chose to see where we're, we're in pre-production. <laughs> As I said, we're, we're yeah. in pre-production right now. Um, we have, so, so I won't give everything away, but we, we, we have beautiful, you know, we've gotten awards for our previous films. Um, wonderful artists, uh, musicians that uh, do a wonderful job. We got best soundtrack at, at a film festival. Uh, recently, and I was very grateful for that. But we are we are currently galvanized, getting all of our moving parts together. We have the writer, we have the director, we know who the director is going to be, and there's a nationwide search for actors because we do need uh, actors that speak Igbo um, because it's a particular Igbo story um, mm-hmm. to give that. We want to be historically accurate uh, with the people in their village when they're speaking in Igbo, with uh, even with subtitles, whether you understand it or not. We want to portray and give that passion. You know, some movies, they have people speaking English in their indigenous, you know, areas where it's like, glad, thank you for letting them speak English so we can understand it and still get the passion of the film. But there's nothing like somebody speaking in their native tongue and you getting the story from their actions and from their interactions with others. Wow. I think. I mean, I mean, and it's it's the, the, the musical soundtrack that we're building with the artists, international artists. Um, deals have not been inked yet, so I can't talk too much about it, but yeah. international artists. Um, it, it's 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 wonderful. It's it's really a wonderful pursuit. We have people reaching out saying, "How can I be a part of this?" From Nigeria, we have people from you know all parts of Texas and New York and LA saying, "How can I be a part of this?" And it's like little old me from New Orleans and little old Namdi from Lagos, Nigeria, um, coming together, and Jennings Barmore from Montana, and all these people. He's one of the other producers on the on the on the, on the piece, and showing that how so many different people can come together and make great art. I mean, we have people not just blacks, not just, you know, whites. We have Asians. We have Native Americans that are coming together, whether they are makeup artists, whether they are, you know, sound engineers, whether they are, you know, uh, editors, um, Latina, Latinx people that are all a part of making this picture that are all for seeing stories that are not like them, but that can identify with from cultural experiences or cultures that they feel are not shown. And once you have somebody's foot in the door, Hey, that door is open yeah. and allow other people to tell their stories that are also important, also vital. I mean, I think that's what it's all about. Being bodhisattvas, if you will, people that hold the door open in Buddhist faith. Bodhisattvas are people that deny themselves to a degree and hold the door open for other people to come through. Mm. Moses characters, you know, that let other people to see the promised land, even if they don't get to make it there themselves. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I would like to throw my name in the hat for a extra, throw your name in the hat for 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 an extra. If you just need someone in the background, like I'm I'm I can do a really good like like you know like like Nigeria resting face is just like a nothing impresses me get out of my way kind of like I, dude I can do that face so well. I'm just I'm just saying I'm just saying. Let Let's see it. Let's see it right now. Let's do a little audition. Let's see. Let's okay. See it. Okay. Just. Yes, yes, yes. That's I mean, literally if it was based on that cast, I mean, that's that's right. We I need mean, that. We, that close tight shot, yep. you know, a tight shot for you know a reaction to a colonizer. We need that. Yep. We need that. We need that. Uh, we need that in the, in the, in the film. <laughs> I, I will talk to the other producer and see what we can do, um, and, and the writer director. So I mean, hey, I, I don't mind you throwing your name in the hat, and uh, certainly uh, I welcome. We welcome everybody, and we wish we could have everybody. 
but you're also a musician. So we want great music, and I, I know you're a great, great uh, musician. So uh, oh, we'll we'll nice. talk about off 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 air. Yeah, we'll talk for about sure. Possibilities. Oh uh, yeah, that sounds that sounds so cool. Um, and uh, actually, man, I was just thinking this earlier before I forget because you kind of now like giving because I there's so much insight into being a producer I did not have until um, now in terms of like just how hands on it is. Um, and that being said, like I think I, uh, however many months ago, the frustration. Uh, now makes so much more sense in that I don't know if you saw that viral clip. It's uh, someone rec uh, recorded um, Tom Cruise like going off on his crew. Uh, yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, I mean, so this, this kind of, this was about a COVID thing, but even like, cause what you were talking about now in terms of like, there are so many scenarios where you can be held liable for this or for that. But then like on top of all that during COVID, I think there was like one crew member, which is enough to shut down a production right now in COVID times. Like there was one crew member um that just like i think he had his mask on off for like like a few minutes and had basically i think tom's point was like had whoever like keeps an eye on all that stuff seen just that it would have just shut down like the entire production and then like you know like now again like with what you just said in terms of the context and like how much money goes into this how much time like people turned you, if you're doing this one movie now, that means that like there's other work that maybe you could have done that like you're not doing because you're now there. So like there's just so much that goes into having to potentially shut something down. And like now I think, I think, so I think I'll conclude this because I, I, I want your take on this, but I'll conclude by saying that like, I think most people, um, you know, have their opinion on it or whatever and informed an opinion Re not really knowing like where all of that now is it appropriate to like talk to people in a degree what what you know it, that that's that's up to like you know what we consider that's like your everyone's own individual opinion but i do understand the frustration now like do so uh, did you hear that clip so i how do i answer this uh, i love tom cruise's breath of work mm -hmm. i love the charities that he's donated to but at the end of the day, we're all human beings yeah. and we have very vulnerable moments. But as I said earlier, to whom much is given, much is required. So the lens of Hollywood, the lens of the world will be much higher and much more in focus on Tom Cruise, Denzel Washington, uh, you know, Tarantino, the people of that, you know, Sally Field, people of that nature. It will be more on them than it is on someone like me, you know, though I am a producer, though I've been acting since I was eight years old and professionally since 13, you don't see my name in every billboard in every city. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, soon, soon come. Yeah. Um, but I, I will say that as a former COVID compliance officer for the Hail Mary and making sure that people, you know, were in COVID compliance, I said, look, you have to put your mask on. If you're, if you're shooting, Got to put your mask on. I was even in the film, The Hail Mary. I uh, opened the film up as a, as, a, as a father, grandfatherly figure. And I took my mask off. And then when I went back to being producer role, I put my mask back on. And, I, you know, and, you know, some outside scenes, you had to run around. I said, adjust yourselves accordingly. But we had to be in COVID compliance with the city and the county that we were in and, and filming in in Montana. And we had to check with the CDC guidelines and make sure that people, 
had particular tests in place. And even for the premiere in March, I said, look, if you have a negative COVID test for the premiere, you know, things opened up a little bit more. You still, you cannot come. I need it within a certain amount of days. The airline needs it within a certain amount of days. It needs to be a negative COVID test. You need to send it to me if you are not vaccinated. And they did it. And I said, you know, I mean this. I said, we're not going to bring anything to Montana. We're certainly not planning on taking anything away, uh, taking anything back to our families. And I I mean, that is just a mutual concern that I think you have to have, whether it's COVID restrictions or anything. Um, I think that wearing masks is something that's going to be kept in certain um, standpoints, especially when it's close, close quarters. Um, I know a lot of makeup artists have to wear makeup and there are certain restrictions on the amount of people um, that can be on set while a scene is being done. So it used to be all these hands on deck. It's like, you know, you have to be a certain distance. I was just on set in D.C. for a film um, that's not out yet. I was I was an actor um, in, in May, uh, Mother's Day weekend. And they were like, do you have your COVID test? It has to be done within 24 to 48 hours of you shooting. And we need to have that in our hands. And if you is positive, you cannot come and we'll take your temperature when you come. Those all those things that have to stay in place um, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Um, I think that it's 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 important. It's important to do that. And and the fines, yeah, it's too close that where you have to wear a mask, or if you're not in a particular trailer, you need to have your mask on because insurance is so intricate. A lot of people don't even know the insurance. Like you can do anybody can get a camera and film without permissions and parts and things of that nature. But once you really are getting serious about it, I would say get the permissions, reserve the parts, have the permits, so you'll be in place. Get the insurance. You know insurance. Uh, to cover us, you know, it can be anywhere from 350 to, you know, to thousands of dollars, to hundreds of thousands of dollars for a week or a month based on what you're doing on the level of your your film. We, they, we were asked questions. We had a child in our production of The Hail Mary and we will likely have children in this production. And they were asking, the, the, does the um, does the does does the film have a, a gun present with the child is present on the scene? And that base that changed the the amount of the insurance. We said no, and will the parent be there versus a designated guardian that is on set? We said the parent, and the parent was there. I mean, that changes the rate. So all these little intricate things is what matters when you're doing filming, when you're producing. Uh, you learn on the fly some things, and if you went to school for film and film to the technology or film production, you'll learn them in school. And if you have education in other areas, find a mentor. Yeah. If you don't know something. Ask a question. I got off the phone with a very well-known producer the other day, well-respected, asked a, for, for an hour of their time. I was blessed. I was honored. Wow. And I wrote down things I gleaned, and I will carry it into other negotiations for acquisitions, for distributions, and for other productions that I produce or I act in yeah. and questions, yeah. you know? Um, man, that that's, that's you know... <laughs> The uh, troublemaker in me now just like wishes I could uh, go back in time to a set, uh, like a, a, a movie set maybe back in like the 60s or 70s where like maybe there weren't as many rules and <laughs> people were just doing whatever. Like, like, cause I feel like now, um, you know, in drinking scenes, you know, maybe that, that whiskey is like apple juice, but maybe there was a time where the whiskey really was <laughs> whiskey. I will not confirm or deny information that has been told to me. Um, maybe even in 2021, there are some scenes where certain actors of certain prominence use actual source material. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but definitely in the back then, you know, I, I'm sure that some of these Western films, some of these guys walked off the set uh, very uh, touched by a spirit, not the Holy Spirit, yeah. touched by a spirit. Yeah. Which is, that's, that's actually, it's interesting. Is that... 
when the substance, it's obviously, you know, a movie like Wolf of Wall Street, where like all those things were, are like illegal in real life that, you know, obviously there would be substitutes there. But like when a, um, a substance or when a substance is legal, like um, alcohol or marijuana in some states, like what are the, what's like the, the, is it up to like the the director or the producer, or, or is there still laws in place? Oh, absolutely not. I I don't think that there is a film in production or that has really been and produced that allows real alcohol, like in in contract, mm. allows real alcohol to be on set. There are people that are assigned. There are personal assistants. There are uh, props masters that 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 their life's work and they love to mix alcohol, colored alcohol, brown brown liquor. Um, to make it look like bourbon or whiskey or or, or, or whatever, or whatever, or like have a martini look like uh, a martini, where it's actually like you know another you know substance that is consumable. And uh, many scenes, you know, they, people don't really drink all of it, but they have continuity experts that people uh, they refill the drink. And, and there's a you know script editor, script supervisors, and continuity experts that that their job and their salary is to take care of those things. Um, and props masters. And, and that's a very valuable, very important, very necessary, very needed job. Um, Daddy, I have something bad to say to you. One second. Sorry about that. Oh, no problem. <laughs> Five-year-old time. Yeah. No problem. Actually, um, to people listening, I remember reading a article saying that um Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise uh they both have like separate phones that I think only their kids have the number to and like even in the middle it could be in the middle of like the most important scene or whatever they'll like they'll stop the the the, the, the they'll say cut and then like stop and uh, uh, pick up the phone for their kids, like no matter what, they could be in the middle of anything. Absolutely. And so, yeah, Absolutely. No. my phone stays on. Some people turn it off and I mean, hey, I'm a father, as you see, I'm a father, a husband, father, I'm grateful about it. Even when I give a time block, kids, yeah. kids need their father, need access uh, to their mom, to their dad. Um, not ideal, but hey, it, it, it's life. It is life that, that I live and many people do live and understand. Um, I definitely, wow. It's just, uh, it's, it's my phone stays on, on mute or vibrate uh, because emergencies in life happen. Uh, we don't plan for, um, but when, when roll audio is called, I'll check it after they sell, say cut yeah. and cut is said quite a lot on film sets. Um, unlike on the stage where you're on stage for at least, you know, 20 minutes, maybe sometimes 10 minutes, get off, wait for your cue. It's a lot more active listening and, and things involved in in in, 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 in stage, from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, um, that that's interesting because um, so you just kind of talked about the roles that uh, uh, like someone who's on set for um, you know make sure like like the the substances or whatever look authentic and are all that and um, I uh, God I forget the name of the TV show I learned about it through them. It's uh, do you know the HBO? show um uh high maintenance that that's the name of the of the show it's on hbo um yes i've heard of it okay yeah so they 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 follow around he's a he he just sells weed in new york city and um you know he's like this gangly white dude and it's awesome because even though he is the 
he's really he's like the only reoccurring character in every single episode but the focus is on a new character every single episode and they all the one thing that like brings them all together is that they all buy weed from this guy and um like there might be episodes i think there are maybe like 30 or 40 minutes long there might be episodes where like he is in there for like a minute and and then there's episodes where he's a lot more involved maybe he's like better he's like good friend he's really good friends with some of the people he sells to and like the some other people are like total strangers but anyway they have they have like it's it's just it's such a great tv show and one of the episodes um a lady that that buys weed from him uh her, her like life her job was um uh her she was a um intimacy coordinator like an onset intimate which is like a fairly new role um and uh, or i guess on set um to my knowledge and it was just interesting that the the show was great it's kind of like a, a side point but it was great because like it showed her like going home um after work uh and um she like struggled in her own dating life and like intimacy with like people she was dating but like here she is like like coaching people on intimacy in like some of these like big films and it was it was just it was a great episode but anyway i just i <laughs> went on that tangent just because one it was it was a f- so fantastic and and two it really gave some great insight on um uh making sure that like to you know the actors and actresses involved are really comfortable in in certain scenes um and i guess as a as a producer um is that like, like it, do, do you, are you involved in any of that in terms of like, like, uh, like, like, uh, like as a producer, are you also kind of like on, like involved in like the HR type of things in terms of like, like the relationships between people on set, making sure like people are comfortable? I am definitely involved in that role. I am not an intimacy coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do hire those people or we definitely ask people if they feel comfortable. So that is something that has really been a development over, I would say, even especially the last five years, um, especially with the Me Too movement. And it's it's necessary um, because it had it had not been a priority on a lot of sets where mm. people were intimacy coaches. It wasn't at the forefront of hiring and having even even college programs have intimacy coaches curriculum or when you're directing, directing intimacy um, has now been integrated in many, many MFA and undergrad directing programs or classes offered for actors and directors or theater studies programs alike. Um, and I, I welcome it. I promote it. I say it needs to be done uh, because there are too many times that women and men feel uncomfortable on set or anybody, any, anyone therein, um, no matter what your gender expression is. Um, I say that as a, as a producer, yes, you are essentially HR. Um, unit production manager is also HR. The unit production manager is like over all the departments on set. So that's why their name kind of comes pretty, pretty soon when the credits start rolling. I was wondering why the unit production manager, because they literally are responsible for everything and report to the producer about everything and producers to be a producer and to be registered uh, with the producers guild of America, which will soon be me. Thank God. Uh, you have to be on set for 80% of the production. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You have to be on set. Um, so it's like a, a lot of people have been able to get producers credits that, you know, were not on set. But like that shows that you have to have a vested interest and be there and be able to, you know, have somebody vouch for you. It's kind of a checks and balances. While you are the head, you also have to somebody to say that, yeah, I saw him. 
I felt welcomed. I felt appreciated. I felt valued by him from the cast and crew and anybody there and that made the production go forth. I will say that I've, I have I had to speak to people it, from, from producing plays, because I've produced plays, directed plays, and then the film set, letting people, calling people, saying, if you feel uncomfortable with anything that we're doing, let us know immediately so that we can, you know, revisit it and see how we can make this the best production for all of us, get what we need and get what you need and what you're willing and not willing to do. When, in the audition process, it's so key to let people know if there's nudity in, in, in the importance of telling the story, you have to let them know. It's, you have to legally let them know that there is nudity in this project. If you are comfortable, continue to submit. But if you're not comfortable with nudity, you don't have to submit or just letting right. you know that for this audition, you don't have to be nude. But in the role, there will be nudity. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, man. And I'm, uh, it, it, that's such a great development, too, um, for the film world again like that that's i know i was kind of like uh uh joking earlier about like being able to go back in in time and see what these sets were like before all you know uh so so many of these necessary um uh rules were you know in place but that that's one of the things that like um um you know it would not have been uh fun to go back in time and like see someone be like uncomfortable with maybe you know doing something that they don't uh, want to do, and especially like you know, because um, you know the 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 chances of it being so so necessary to the plot are probably slim in terms of like just altering it in some type of way to like make it comfortable for the the actors involved. But I can understand that like um, you know, there's a culture I think in all, across all arts at like the highest level where. Um, you don't really ever want to challenge anything because you just don't want to be that person. Like they're like we're we're all begging in a way to be um, seen as easygoing because we we want to we want to get job we want to work again we want to be you want to be agreeable again. in the room and, and right, exactly if you want to be you want to there's a phrase that's really popular now it's called booking the room even if you don't mm -hmm. get the part if you don't get you know the solo. Um, as a musician or if you get the role as an actor, you want to book the room and make people like you and want people to be around you um, at all times. Mm -hmm. And there are several actors that I know that I've worked with, especially as a producer and a cast director, that um, I want them to be in everything that I'm doing. I yes. want to create a role for them. And those type of people are very, you know, it's there are lots of them. But to, to, to really book the room is so key and so important to like, you're always auditioning for the next role. So any and everything that you say publicly, even sometimes social media, people have lost roles because of what they've put on social media that was insensitive, even for political views, because certain clients don't want to um, be connected with someone with a particular political view, whether it be more conservative or more liberal or, what, or anything in between. Um, I, I think it's so important that it's, it's about being neutral. Even yeah. clients, even CEOs that may have a particular political stance, when it's like a, a big, well-known company that everybody shops with or goes to or uses their services, they like to remain neutral to get as many customers and clients as they can. Right. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast and the art of capitalism, uh, finessing yeah. you know, what you have to get more of what you want. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's so important that that finesse cannot carry over into sexual harassment. Right. So with me as a producer, as a person in my life, in any form of my life, in any of my jobs or careers, whether it's hospitality expert or actor, producer, director, um, it's I have no tolerance for harassment. I have no yeah. tolerance for bigotry and racism, um, sexism. I have no tolerance for that. So um, I, I just don't. You know, if I see yeah. a young woman or a young man being talked to about or 
you know, degraded because of their race. I was just having a conversation with um, someone I know the other day about people being, you know, talked down to because anti-Semitic or because they're black or because they're Asian, uh, Asian hate things are going on uh, because of, uh, you know, this past year and a half. Um, I have no tolerance for it. I'm the one that stands up for it. I'm big in size, but I'm also big in stature in my heart because, you know, we're all one people, you know, and I, I definitely believe that. And I've made it known to actors before I said, I have no problem sending any one of you home mm. yeah. and losing yeah. the weight needed to be your role. Right. Yeah. Because a producer and has to be willing <laughs> to replace that actor and say, hey, you have to have that in a budget. And right. actors have been replaced, believe it or yeah. not. Even big name actors. So don't think that you are so, you, that you don't think you're irreplaceable. Don't think that yeah. you're invincible. Because yeah. there are big name actors, whether it be a, a, a substance abuse issue, whether it be sexual harassment, if you cannot kick it, or if you cannot get the help needed or the circle around you, even and so many times, so many of these actors that are burgeoning into these great careers murder themselves before they really, you know, blow up. Or even some of these major actors that have had a second chance, even after messing up greatly uh, with substance abuse issues or even harassment allegations that were proved not guilty or, you know, pled no contest. Sometimes they have too many yes men around them. Yeah. Or yes, women around them and people that are are scared, as you said, you know, to speak up because they want to book another role. And it's a delicate balance because sometimes people say things that generally are accepted and OK, but that one person might feel uncomfortable. And if it's that one person, they are just as important as the masses. Yeah. And I let people know that so much. I said, hey, if you feel uncomfortable, come to me first. Don't spread it around the cast. Don't spread it around the crew. Talk to me. Let's talk about it. Let's see what can be done. Let's rectify with the person that offended you. If I say anything that offended you, please forgive me and please come and talk to me about it so we can mm-hmm. reason, sit down and reason together. I think that's communication. I'm not mm-hmm. all about canceling, but there are certain things I just will not tolerate. Right. Talking under people's clothes on a set is not acceptable. And I will have you on the next thing smoking back to where you came from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the, what, like this kind of reminds me of... Uh, <laughs> what um cat williams uh said in um a recent i don't know if it was a i think it was an interview i don't think it was a special and um he was so spot on and it's funny because i think because his antics on stage are and i say that like with all respect in in terms of the word antics like his antics on stage are um so convincing that like like when he he has been the voice of reason in a lot of like topics and i think people are surprised by that because of those antics but like in real life literally every interview i've ever seen him in he is like the most calm thoughtful person ever and so that being said like he recently said um something where it's like oh like you know i'll i'll i'm friends i see like comments on the internet i'm friends with um, all kinds of comedians on on many different levels, and um, I've heard you know many people say like you, you know oh man I can't I can't uh, say this anymore I can't make a joke about like this group of people or this or that and he was like well you know if you can't be funny without like completely you know uh, uh, shitting on someone else or some group of people then like maybe you're just not funny and um, I love that I love that. Um, quote in the sense that like, you know, and, and there's a difference between like just, you know, uh, poking fun at, at something and 
you know, like, like kind of like, 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 you know, uh, if you're going to joke about like uh, everyone, like a little bit to me like that, that's fine. But there's a, there's a difference between that and like, like going at a certain community, like repeatedly over and over and over again, um, you know, to be the butt of a joke. Um, obviously, you know, I guess like within comedy, it's been um, uh, maybe whether the gay community or this or that, but um, I feel like this is, it relates to kind of what uh, you're, you're saying in that, um, you know, uh, uh, in terms of like cancel culture and this or that, it's like, you know, if, if you can't uh, uh, abide by these things, like maybe this just like, isn't, isn't for you. Like why, why do you want the, the, like, 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 you know, when people are like, we can't do this anymore, can't do that anymore. It's like, why, why do you want to do those things anyway? Like, why, <laughs> why do you want to make people feel uncomfortable? Any, like, what, what's the, what's the desire behind that? So, um, yeah, man, I hear you. And that, that must be that, that's interesting. Cause I think to be a, a producer, um, it's a delicate balance really, because yeah, yeah. there are still comedy shows that are going to be put on. And comedy is what gives laughter to the soul. And mm-hmm. do I laugh at certain things when people make... I have a brother, a man, a grown man, a man with autism. And I laughed at jokes that were made about people with autism and, mm-hmm. you know, people with special needs. Does that mean everybody will laugh because of their experience? No. But I laugh mm-hmm. because I identify with someone who is telling a story about a facet of life that I understand and has made lighthearted. I laugh at Yvonne Orji. Uh, one of my favorite comedians. She's she's yeah. she's hilarious. Um, her special uh, that I, I saw recently, and it was just like she she said she made fun of her Nigerian culture, but also showed how she loved it, and and kind of had a mixed uh, splicing of time in Nigeria and being in New, and being in New York and L.A. and talking about her life as an actress and talking about how you can only be an engineer, uh, you know, a lawyer or a doctor, and being an actor is like what is that? And like doing the accents and you know having parents. <laughs> that are strict, but then saying, oh, my daughter, she's an actress now. You've seen her, you know, and, and getting the yeah. acclaim and, and having really clean comedy, but also poking fun at her own cultural upbringing and comparing it to some other cultural upbringings, but also like inviting people in. It was that immigrant culture type of, you know, first generation type of child, you know, that Indian, some Indian people, some people from China or people from South America or Central America can identify with on some facet with their parents and their expectations um in america so yeah. it was really it was really awesome to see that yeah. it's a delicate Which, balance the, yeah and I, I was gonna say she is like my spirit animal i, I want to be her when i grow up <laughs> um she's just so cool man that yeah. i think she's probably she's probably on like the the dream uh guest list just because especially as a nigerian on uh, myself and i guess kind of seeing her like navigate the you know uh, the through her way through the entertainment industry and and like having that background a lot of the stuff she said like i've uh related to so she's just one of those people i'd i'd love to to uh pick her brain she's amazing man um amazing yes. yeah but um anyway i know we're we're uh on the tail end of this we're about to to wrap up but um man before we go i mean i i just you're the the two films that um um uh correct me if i'm wrong i know i think one of them is uh hail mary and uh what's what what's the the name of the other one so the two uh, films that i've already passed producing and are going through mm-hmm. the festival circuit are talisman which is a short film and written and directed in um uh, by nandi kanaga and then there is the hail mary which was also written and directed by nandi kanaga produced by myself and i produced talisman as well the hail mary 
is a full-length feature that's going through the uh, festival circuit, but also um, in pursuit of a heavy, heavy, heavy acquisition. So yeah, okay. and distribution. I mean, we're doing They Chose the Sea. Uh, okay. That's in pre-production. They Chose the Sea, which tells the story of the Igbo landing of uh, our wonderful Igbo brothers and sisters of Nigeria and uh, their resistance against slavery um, wow. and their fight for freedom. Yeah, it's, it's much needed. It's a very unique story that is not is definitely not told in history and uh, that you I would dare even say might not even learn an African-American literature or history class in college yeah. um, unless you looked it up yourself. So it's really beautiful stories that need to be exposed, need to be highlighted to empower people, to let them know that there is more than one way, even if it's not the cultural uh, way of that particular land, is more than one way to skin a cat. Right, right. Wow, man. And, and is there anywhere, um, uh, are, are these like available to uh, watch for just like, uh, you know, just regular people, maybe people listening that want to go watch Yes, it? yes. So we are in the, uh, we, it will be on streaming platforms. I believe the Talisman will be available uh, very soon on uh, Amazon and Amazon Prime. And the Hail Mary, as I said, we are in the acquisition distribution process right now. So we can't speak. Uh, legally about where that will be going until mm -hmm. the final ink is dry on the contract. Nice. Cool. So well, but look for it soon. It'll be coming. It'll be on some, uh, you know, well-respected platforms and you'll know it. And I yeah. will let everybody, we'll let everybody yeah. know we'll be excited about it. All the yeah, way to the awards podium. And the second it is, man, yeah, let, let me know. I'd love to like make a, a post about it on, on Please, you dude. know, the social for the, my social, the podcast social, man, because that, Thank that, you. That sounds like it's a story that that's going to hit home for me whenever I get to see it. So, um, yeah, this is just this is all so cool, man. Um, seriously, I, I like I, I mean this when I tell this to every guest, like just thank you for uh, your time and indulging me, my curiosity in the film world and everything. So like like this is this has been awesome. Thank you. I'll see. It's it's so beautiful to have this inter art conversation, you being a musician. Uh, my wife is a classically trained opera singer at Manhattan School of Music. So, I mean, it's beautiful to see other people of color that are classically trained actors, classically trained um, artists, but also navigating this very real world of modernity. You know, yeah. so yeah. I'm very grateful for you and the platform that you provide uh, for people to see real people grappling with life, pursuit of art and love and all and faith and all that wrapped into one. Yeah, thank you, man. Um, and yeah, to, to people listening, if you made it all the way to the end, uh, thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, we're this is a wrap. Uh, this is a song called Life, and um, we're out. Peace.